Hey everybody, welcome back to the Green Milk and Lane podcast, where queer friends and allies gather to review and discuss the original X-Men comics from the 1970s. This is a 70s book. I set out a couple of years ago after my creative lull during COVID and uh, took a lot of self-reckoning and thought, what do I want to do next creatively? And I thought about a podcast covering Silver Age X-Men. And uh, originally I was going to go through uh, issue 66 and then be done, but that we're going on beyond this. But regardless, today is issue 66 and I've had a lot of moments of like, oh, kind of gratitude as I look at this community that I've become a part of uh, and just this incredible show that we've put together. So I, uh, I'm so happy to be recording this episode. I'm feeling all glowy and fuzzy, which is weird for me. Blah. <laughs> Congratulations. That, am yeah. I allowed to talk yet? Oops. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I'm so happy. <laughs> uh, so I am thrilled to be joined by the uh, all-star cast of my friends, uh, Jordan White, Anthony Oliveira, and Josh Trujillo. Let me have you each introduce yourselves. Let us know your gender pronouns, if you like. And uh, as you're telling people about yourself, uh, what X-Men character do you relate the most to? Or who's most like you? And that can come across as silly or sentimental, whatever you like. Uh, let's go in the order of uh, Jordan, Anthony, Josh. All right. Um, so my name is Jordan D. White. I'm a senior editor in charge of the X-Men currently at Marvel Comics. Uh, and uh, I'm, I'm he, him as well. I... Uh, what character am I most like? Uh, so th it's tough because there's not a lot of uh, cowards who don't want to get into fights ever in the <laughs> X-Men. Um, <laughs> so that's a tough one. Uh, I, I certainly think I have certain qualities in common with uh, Hank McCoy. Now, that's a dangerous one to say <laughs> current, in current <laughs> comics. Uh, but that said, like, honestly, the fact that he is, you know, a pretty smart guy who usually thinks that he's right and the danger is that he could go way too far on that basis yeah that's a danger i have to uh, hopefully i'm not don't have as many war crimes in me as he's got but <laughs> but the danger is always there it's also strange one to pick because in the era that you're reading less so because i'm not at all athletic he's <laughs> he's coming from being a sports star uh to being a, a genius shortly thereafter or well at the same time really but um other than that, I mean, the other only other one I would pick would be like, you know, like Doug, Doug Ramsey, because again, Aww. not very physical. No, does I, did I steal yours? Please. No, 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 no. I, I just I have a very soft spot for Doug. He's great. He's sweetheart. He's, great. he's a he's a thinker. He he doesn't get in a lot of fights. He's a smart guy. I don't know. He's a little awkward sometimes. Uh, he's great. He's great. I love him. Uh, Anthony. Uh, hi, I'm Anthony Oliveira. Um, any pronouns? Fine. Uh, I. I, I like a sad gay. So like I've done a lot of Wiccan and Hulkling writing, but I don't have their biography. Like I like a little bit of a little bit of a dark sort of a surviving out of something. So Iceman's always been a favorite, at least especially recently. Um, the one I always think about is Vivisector, like a bookish, Ooh. like we both have the PhDs, although he's a modernist. I, I wouldn't want to have to read too much James Joyce, which he suffers through. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, bad luck with dudes and a little, uh, a little furry. Um, my Twitter bio for a while was like and subscribe, which I feel like describes me and Vivisector. So <laughs> I think he's my pick or Exodus. Like I like a oh. Catholic trauma moment. So, uh, Good choices. and then, uh, Josh, 
Sure. Uh, I'm Josh Trujillo. I'm a comic book writer dude. Uh, he, him. I was actually going to say Beast, but early Beast oh, no. and not like not where he is at. You know, he's fallen from uh, God's life <laughs> in that way. But um, I was thinking like 70s Dazzler, like when she headlined her own series, when she was like kind of like a little bit feuding with what her parents wanted her to do and what she wanted to do. And she could just not get it together. Like that's me in my 20s. So uh, Allison Blair, for sure. Uh, lastly, I'm Chad Anderson. I use he, him pronouns. When I was in high school and really entrenched in X-Men for the first time, I was like four years into my collecting. I remember keeping a list in my like trapper keeper. I'm dating myself. Uh, of uh, all of the X-Men characters who were currently in teams and then like pairing them up next to all of my friends and family and like who they were most like. Whoa. It was like a list that I kept all through high school. The character that I always chose, although I don't like this character a lot now in my 40s, was Cable. And weirdly, I was I was very like closeted and like really just like containing all of this like stuff inside. And Cable's like war with his TO virus and like having to keep it under oh. control uh was weirdly the thing that that really connected me to that character although it's not a big part of his character and hasn't been in many <laughs> many years uh that's kind of my go-to answer there i uh i and now now i'm gonna pick cannonball because he's like the sexy space dad that's a <laughs> that's where I'll, I'll put myself nowadays <laughs> uh we're gonna start with a provocative question today what are your thoughts on 60s X-Men comics being the template <laughs> for modern X-Men books and everything that has followed? The reason we started this show, everyone starts with the animated series or the movies, or if you go back a little farther with Claremont's run, but we went back to the very beginning. What are your thoughts on these early Silver Age books being the template for the books that follow? Uh, I know that's kind of a big and broad question, but tell me some of your thoughts. I mean, I have all sorts. I have all sorts. I mean, I, here's the thing. I, I I don't think it's really that controversial to say they're not that good. Like, the book was constantly about to get canceled. It didn't do well. It did get canceled, sort of, here. It, it didn't literally get canceled because they continued it with reprints, but it was essentially canceled. It, the, the, you, you just finished a run that of where the book is literally swinging wildly, where they go here's what this book is about now. Oh, that didn't work. No, here's what this book is about now. Like they have no clue what they're doing to make it sell. Now that said, it was back in a long time ago. So it probably sold a zillion million copies every single issue. And we would be desperate to sell those, <laughs> those numbers now, but, but, but for what it was trying to do, it was failing. Um, and I think that's, that's weird um, because, because of the nature of how it continued because of the nature of how, uh well uh, uh, Len but then Chris uh, Len Ween and then Chris Claremont uh, picked it up uh they did continue it even though they changed it a lot this part that isn't that good is still like very important in fact I I really want to I I love um uh oh my god uh first class I thought first class was a really fun yeah, book. Yeah. I, I would love to do another book like that because again this era is still vital to what the X-Men is in so many ways because it establishes so much and the, the characters in it are still some of the most important characters but again I don't recommend them people start here <laughs> I don't recommend people go back and read them until they are really really committed to liking X-Men and wanting to know it all um 
I think it's also really weird. So I'm sorry, I'm dominating. I, I want to hear everybody else's answer. I also think it's really weird that um, having read them all relatively recently, it was a couple of years ago, I went through and read every single one. Um, I feel like the X-Men also, I'm going to be really blunt. The X-Men also really suck in this run. Like they're bad at being superheroes. Um, <laughs> they, they, they fail a lot, or if not fail, um, just kind of scrape by and when they do win, no offense to the five slash seven of them, depending on when you're counting, <laughs> um, 99% of the time it's Professor X that told them exactly what to do. And that's the only reason they won. Like, he, like they are flailing around wildly. And then Professor X is like, do this, you idiots. And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it's, and it succeeds. Like, it, it, it drove me crazy how ineffective they were <laughs> this entire run. It kind of blew my mind. <laughs> I think that's fair. I think that's fair. Uh, Anthony and Josh, let me hear some of your thoughts. Uh, yeah, I would. It It is. It does have a tendency to feel like homework sometimes to go back and visit. <laughs> like when I was doing the Iceman story for the Pride issue, I like put it in between one of these issues and like, but making sure I'd done all that homework felt important. But what I like about um, reading this and now rereading it, I jumped I did like the first 14 and then I realized like I was not going to get through all of them before this episode. So I jumped <laughs> from 14 to 50 and it's, it's wild going through the shock of it. Cause you really do see like, Oh, like the sixties have arrived, right? Like it's suddenly so mod, so psychedelic when you get into the Adams stuff and everything. Um, and in that sense, what's kind of amazing about this run, which is, I agree with Jordan, like, <laughs> sometimes a little trying is like you really get a a biopsy of a culture like you can feel the teenager being invented kind of before mm. you're like in those early mm. issues you even see the word teenager and it's hyphenated because it's like a new concept right like and that's the energy that's in these books that like a book like new mutants eventually picks up and what i like about all of the x-men books is like what it captures here that isn't quite happening in really any other um, comic book is like, okay, you're a teenager. What does that mean? You're the monster your parents most feared you would be. Now what? Um, and capturing that energy here really appeals to me, even when the stories are, as you say, Jordan, like they fall ass backwards into victory all the time, <laughs> including in this one where it's yeah. like the Hulk, like the Hulk will have the answer. We'll just bombard Xavier with radiation and you'll be fine. <laughs> um, there's a lot of talking about being exhausted in these last few issues, which I find interesting. Like the book is exhausted and everyone in it is exhausted. It's very funny. Um, and then Josh. Sure. Um, you know, I dig Silver Age comics. I like when Martian Manhunter's fighting a giant flaming horse. Like, that, that's compelling to me. But, like, there's some great villains in these issues that are, like, the Locust or whoever. You know, we love Porcupine. So, like, it's great to see the X-Men kind of... What, what was weirdness in the 60s does not necessarily apply today. And so it's interesting to see, like, what the outsider mentality was. You know, like, beatniks were considered, like, outsiders yeah, in counterculture. Yeah. And like, we would just, that would just be mom these days, you know? And so it's interesting how that's like, how that has shifted. And it's like, I think it's hard to understand how revolutionary some of these ideas or metaphors were at the time. Um, but I dig it. It's nice to have an X-Men cast where I can name all the characters in one breath. 
When I worked on the handbooks, I was often considered the X-Men Defenders Daredevil guy. Like those were those were my areas of uh, most love. I mean, there was other things I loved growing up, but those were the the niches I would often fall into. At this point, and this is a bold statement, but I think it's fair. I may be one of the foremost experts on 60s X-Men at this point because I have spent <laughs> two to three hours on each of these issues, <laughs> dissecting them with people and like advertising the content and taking screenshots and going back. If I sum up the entire run in just a couple of sentences, most of it is nonsense. And really the only way to enjoy it is if you compare it to something like Star Trek or Doctor Who, mm -hmm. you really like the modern stuff, but you want to go back and enjoy the camp of the original stuff. And all of the stuff builds. It's a universe that builds on it. But the characters like the Locust and the Porcupine, I love the Warlock and, uh, you know, these just nonsense villains that were back there. The Cafe Agogo, I adore. I've printed shirts from the Cafe Agogo a little bit. <laughs> awesome. But I, uh, I have a whole wall of 60s characters. But most of it doesn't matter to the modern franchise. What you get from the original run is the establishment of the original five at a secluded mansion with a leader. Magneto's got the opposing force with the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. And then you get some big stuff along the way. Juggernaut... Kesar and the Savage Land, the Sentinels arc is by far the best from the of beginning. Course, absolutely. And it's the uh, one that gets most to the core of what, that's the closest to modern X-Men that we get because it's absolutely. about hated and feared. And then you get Cerebro in the Danger Room, which of course have <laughs> long, long histories afterward. You and get, make way less sense back then. <laughs> way less sense. You what, get the, what, what does Cerebro do? Everything. <laughs> I love when it has the little slots for their names, like a <laughs> like the auto dialer of a phone. And he's like, sometimes it just goes, <laughs> there's something dangerous happening somewhere. <laughs> Cerebro says. And then you get some of the characters, Blob and Vanisher and Eunice, uh, who are part of the franchise, right? Then you get the introductions of Banshee, Havoc, Polaris, Sunfire, the end. Like, that's really all you need. Oh, no a lot love of for it. Sauron. I oh, love Sauron. Sauron's my favorite. I didn't list him right now, but he's my favorite. So weird and so confusing, but wonderful. I love him. I, I have a question about Sauron today. We're going to get there in a minute. Uh, uh, so when you when you kind of stack it all up, we get to move into a new era. And the next lengthy time on my show, we're going to be doing a mix of modern issues that are set in the early stuff, which we've been mixing in along the way, as well as the early 70s content. Uh, today's issue. Wait, for wait, you're not sorry. You're not going to do the hidden years, are you? Oh, we are. We are. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Today's <laughs> issue carries into X-Men, the hidden years, as well as an Alan Davis series called Savage Hulk. Both of those are going to get some real estate on my oh, show yeah, in the next yeah. few months. Uh, so there's all these kind of hidden gems along the way. And the handbook guy in me, like stacking it all up and creating this is the funnest part. But I've had a blast doing this show. I feel like I could write a college thesis. On it now. But also, I'm so happy to be moving on <laughs> into, into some new areas. Uh, any thoughts before we uh, change the subject a little bit? I'm, I'm the part that I again the part that I'm most interested in. I mean, it was all it was. All, I'm glad I read it all. I mean, I I do like the the nuttiness of Silver Age comics as well. My favorite. For example, my favorite Superman comics are by far Silver Age Superman, where things are completely insane for eight pages per story. <laughs> but um, like the part, the, like I said, the part where it's real whiplash, like I'm just very interested in that because there's so many concepts that they throw at the wall and immediately fall off the wall. But like there's room to go, let's tell a story there. And uh, so the one that I will always want to do is I want to do more stories about uh, DJ Cyclops and, yeah. and his model girlfriend. Swimsuit model, Jean Grey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's from when the, what was it? The FBI told them 
you have to go into yes <laughs> into hiding for <laughs> what <laughs> and then like and they know it doesn't even like resolve right they just eventually go and eh, don't worry about it we're going we're going to fight as the x-men now like don't worry about it I right? think like they, they never... yeah they come back to the mansion here like it's been the longest. Is this the first time? I think so. I I was trying to remember like they leave in like issue fifty and they're it's like two days later now in issue sixty six. Right. But, but after the DJ thing is when the 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 Polaris story happens, right? That was mm -hmm. after the DJ thing. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. So Jim Stranko comes in with Polaris and Mesmero. Right. Yeah, and that's when Iceman and Beast are living in San Francisco, right? <laughs> Oh, did you cover the the Kurt B Kurt Busick story? Uh, in Thunderbolts, the fact Is that, that where one, or are you talking about the Metoxa the Lava Man story? The Lava Man one. Yeah, Lava I've got Man. I've got them both. Okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I've been thorough, my friend. And on the show, sure. and on the show's Patreon, we're doing the the side episodes on these characters that don't get focused. Anthony and I did Bova recently. Josh and I did Porcupine a while back. Uh, I and, love and my cow mom. <laughs> I didn't know and Bova I was say, an option. I will say we're doing like obviously in X Men in the current X-Men, we've been doing like stuff. Like we've been kind of busy with the stuff. But when I was reading all these, like there is a part of me that absolutely wants to be like, guys, let's bring back all of the dumbest things. Like let's bring back all of the worst things. Um, I love so. Mimic. I would always want to, I've always wanted to do something with a Mimic. He's, I, was, he's I tried to convince Al Ewing to use the aliens from, uh, oh my God, I just forgot his name. Luc Lucifer, the alien Lucifer. Oh yeah. He never found a space to use him yet. Unfortunately. There was a hot minute where Onslaught was almost Lucifer. I remember that was almost <laughs> a thing. like like Lucifer is such a bummer because it's like it's such a big piece. Oh, how did he get get paralyzed? And it's like yeah, this weird thing that has nothing to do with anything and <laughs> this never guy in a mushroom hat. <laughs> we have a there's so a whole weird. there's a whole Patreon on Lucifer too. There's that's a whole right. education as well. It's a <laughs> It's a lot of fun. So the X-Men obviously have continued. They've expanded. They've been reinterpreted. And the line has grown and grown to the point where there's sometimes 15 books being published a month. And the roster expands. And there's thousands and thousands of characters. They're reinterpreted. There's alternate realities and time travel craziness and alternate universe movie and cartoon versions of everything to the point where, you know, they're on your kids' sheets or their underwear. There's <laughs> little stickers on posters on the wall. And we have a room full of talented, uh, educated people who get to work on these stories and, and see the franchise kind of come together over a period of, of uh, decades. It's a really wonderful thing. So this is going to be a bizarre place to take the conversation for just a minute. But uh, this is just kind of conversation-based. Some of my uh, favorite places to go are what are the stories that have never been resolved? When you take the decades of continuity all stacked up, I'm just going to toss a few of these out. I made a list of some of the ones that bug me the most. Mm -hmm. uh, top of the list, easy. Whatever happened to Colossus's kid in the Savage Land? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Hopefully we will never hear about him again. <laughs> <laughs> definitely I, I have a feeling that's going to be my answer for a couple of these oh i so don't want to know <laughs> uh colossus and nareel had a, a boy named peter but they we've just there's nothing ever that's been done superheroes <laughs> having kids is almost always a terrible mistake <laughs> that shouldn't have happened and then at best get, can get ignored and at worst ends up with a terrible story that resolves it the um, the more uh, people I interview, the more I realize that's true. Like adding a child to a comic book is just a terrible thing. <laughs> uh, Jordan, what is a Moomadry? Oh boy. 
um, okay. They're definitely a psychic entity. And then there's like, <laughs> then, then it gets to the parts beyond that where I'm weird, where I'm going like, does everyone have an equal opposite evil one? I don't think that we all do, but that's all I really know is that they are like kind of maybe eternal evil psychic entities, I think. There's like a realm underneath our realm where there's like a shadow version of everybody, but like Cassandra Nova is the twin of Xavier, but also her own thing and now lives in this world. And it's very confusing. <laughs> yeah, I think she's I like I think she's really a psychic entity, but that she made a, a body for herself out of his DNA, basically. That's to the extent to which she's his twin. And yes, to when we were debating whether or not we should count her as a mutant, we went, well, I guess if she made her body out of mutant DNA, I guess it's a mutant. So Sort of. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. There's a- she's one and Shadow King's one. And isn't... Uh, uh, what's his name? Sam Humphreys explored this in his Uncanny X-Force run for a while, where there's like Moomadry versions of like Storm and Bishop and other people running around out there, if I'm remembering that right. Part. I believe it, but I didn't remember <laughs> that part. It's a lot. Uh, Josh, do you want to take the next one? Yes, we talked about this earlier, but in New Excalibur, Dazzler can't die. Oh, God. <laughs> this is a thing that has come up on the X-Lack. It's, uh, <laughs> it's so baffling to me, and it's, I just think it's like Disco doesn't die, so neither can Dazzler. <laughs> I don't know if that's still the case or not. <laughs> I guess we'll see. <laughs> is there any um, explanation? No. <laughs> uh, I, not that I'm aware of. Um, this is a, this is definitely a fact that Leah brought up a number of times to us when she would talk about Dazzler with us, uh, and uh, Leah Williams. And I don't, I don't think, I don't think, I don't know an explanation. Does anybody else know? Remember one? I don't think there ever. Was I don't think one. it think, has ever been explained. It was like hinted. We had a we we at one point talked about a thing we could do with it, but I don't think that we ended up having space for it. So I don't know. I don't know. Who knows? It remains to the ages to be determined. Has Dazzler, I apologize if I'm missing one, has Dazzler died on Krakoa or does her anti-resurrection power still hold perhaps? I, I, as far as I'm aware, we have not shown her dying on in the Krakoan era. So as far as I'm aware, she could, it's possible she still can't die. Uh, can she ever meet Angel's evil uncle Dazzler? <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> He's the Dazzler, isn't he? <laughs> He's the Dazzler. We're getting ready to do that story on my show soon. It's, uh, it's going to be fun. Uh, Jordan, there are a number of storylines over the years, more than people think, that have talked about evolutionary sects of mutants that have gathered together and formed. So uh, 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 Steve Orlando recently in Marauders has told us about Threshold. We've got Araco. We've got these ideas that millions of mutants have gathered over time. But then we, uh, like in Chuck Austin's era, we saw like all of the winged kind of angelic mutants together and like the lupine <laughs> ones and like the demonic ones. And these stories have been picked up by more than one writer. Uh, in some of the Wolverine titles, there's like Romulus and Remus and like the lupine. Yep. Uh, it's It's been done, uh, including uh, including the Neo, which is kind of its own like offshoot branch, I think of all that. <laughs> what is your take on this idea of evolutionary sects of mutants? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I, it's in again, it's interesting. Well, I mean, there's a difference, I think, between some of those ones where it's like 
certain mutations are, uh, I don't know, the people of a certain mutation type group together and, and something like Threshold and Araco, those are a little different because some, those are just societies, right? They're, like they're not like, we all have, we all have fur, we all have pointy ears, <laughs> anything like that. Um, that said, like, I, I don't know, it makes sense that, uh, I mean, honestly, it's weird enough that one gene supposedly can make all of these variations of every mutant power that we've ever seen as it is, right? So the idea that, you know, it actually repeats a bunch of them <laughs> makes sense. Makes sense to me. <laughs> a bunch of them are going to be kind of similar. Uh, yeah, that's that's logical. There's going to be a bunch of furry guys with claws. Okay, I'll buy it. Why would these ones poke out this way? I don't know. That doesn't make any sense. But <laughs> <laughs> no, there's that. Is there anything like that in nature? I don't think there is. Right? There's no. I mean, unless you count the high evolutionary and like the inhumans. There's all sorts of like. Uh... No, no. I mean, in real nature, <laughs> like there are no animals that have bone shafts. That well, I guess like a narwhal, but it doesn't move, right? Oh yeah, teeth, that maybe Wolverine should have like a spiral, like to his name. Honestly, Wolverine's claws. Well, this is totally on a tangent, but Wolverine's bone claws to me seems so silly because they're only pointy at the top. So, like, what would be the oh, advantage yeah, just of kinda, having? What would be the advantage of having skewers? Yeah, like, right? yeah. Like you could scratch someone <laughs> if they were a foot farther away from you than your arm was, but if you swing them the way he normally swings them and like hit them with the side of them, you'd probably just be breaking them all the time. Yeah. I always get freaked out. I have a real body horror thing about how he has to have his wrist straight. Like, like the idea oh. of like trying to pop it out while his wrist is bent really freaks me out. Have we ever shown that? I feel like something somebody must've done at some point, right? That he's just got to pop him at the bottom or something. Ugh. I mean, the closest I can think of is obviously Age of Apocalypse. Oh, sure. Yeah. yeah. Why did he have a? Why did he need? Why did he have a missing hand in that again? Cyclops blasted it off so bad it never healed. But don't they just sure. kind of grow? I don't know. Whatever. It was uh, well, honestly, uh, <laughs> it looked I, cool. He, he didn't have his healing factor wasn't as crazy back then. Like I think there That's was like right. one comic where it was a little crazy, but like for the most part, he would still get shot and be like, "This is a detriment to my being able yes. to do anything." It wasn't really till the movies. Yeah, it's true. The yeah. movies really changed that, and then like, my... Morrison. For my listeners who have been only doing the 60s stuff with us, I, oh. I'm not even taking There's time. a character called Wolverine. I'm not, I'm not explaining <laughs> any of this. You just gotta you just gotta jump into the crazy. Who? <laughs> uh what is Krakoa at this point? It was one thing and then it was another, and now it's like a mutant that turned into an island. I'm so yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, I, I can tell you at this point. So when when I started on X Men, which wasn't very long ago, um, it was definitely not what it is now. Um, in fact, my uh, at the time, I don't remember if she was my assistant or my associate editor at the time, but Annalise Bissa, who who worked on a whole ton of X stuff with me before she moved to the Avengers office, she did a one shot um, before Hickman uh, gave us his full pitch uh, about Krakoa, and it was like a flashback, and I think. It was still very much leaning into the, uh, it was a Nick Fury and his Howling Commandos accidentally crash land on Krakoa before the X-Men do. But it still leaned into the original origin of, of Krakoa, which uh, at the time was still, we were still close enough to the nuclear age that it was like, right. oh, it's like atom bombs went off and they made a Krakoa somehow. It's like a bikini atoll kind of thing. Right, right. right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but Jonathan came in. It's one of the few things that he went, you know what? 
we can we can fudge that. We can pretend <laughs> that was something other than it was. And so I'm sure that we can link in a thing saying, well, that the, the bombs awakened him or something like that. But now we have recently revealed this is out, right? <laughs> Did this comic come out? <laughs> Let me not, make I sure the comic has come out. <laughs> just look at my March 6th. March 6th. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm talking about Marauders number 10. Yes. So the revelation of yes. the, uh, the the time travel back to Threshold and one of them stays behind and becomes Krakoa. That happened. Yes. Well, no, not one of them stays behind. One of the, It was one of the original denizens. Oh, yeah, yeah, yes. Pardon me. Threshold. Yes. Yeah. Uh, a character who originally was named Grove, that their power is that when they are wounded, they heal back in, in vegetation. <laughs> and so at the end of the, the, the thing, all of a sudden they are like a, a plant person instead. And they, they're like, oh, Grove. What about this? And Grove's like, you know what? I'm a different person now. Now you call me Okara. And Okara becomes a giant island eventually. And then the island splits into two islands, which are called Rako and Krakoa. And now that brings us to today. And now Grove is Mars. <laughs> and now and now half a Grove is on Mars. Yeah, or more than half, actually, but yes. Weird. I love it. Uh, okay, two more, and then we're going to start. Are our... we just quizzing Jordan? Is that what no, I, I just, <laughs> It's unresolved issues. I did ask, uh, when Tom Brevoort was last on the show, I asked him what the Phoenix Force was. And I would ask you that, but Tom said, there are ongoing storylines that will change the definition of what the Phoenix Force is, so I can't say anything. So I'm yeah, not that's a spoiler. That, I right? can't answer it. <laughs> but I'm excited for that one. Uh, this one is in honor of uh, our friend Connor Goldsmith. Is Zaladane related to Lorna Dane? I have no idea. No. <laughs> Wait, is her name even? Well, her name is Dane, right? That was her her like adopted parents. Zaladane. So wait. No, I meant oh, Lorna Dane. Oh, Lorna. Yeah. So Lorna was raised by her like stepdad's brother. Who is Arnold Arnold Dane? If I'm remembering right, it's been a minute. <laughs> um, I don't know. I don't know the answer. Probably no. And this one is in honor of me. What is Sauron? Uh, we had a big debate about this. In his early appearances, he's called like a neo mutant, and he's like a kid who doesn't have powers that gets bit by a pterodactyl, and suddenly he's draining life. And uh, what? Why? Why? <laughs> <laughs> it, it it's a great question and it makes no sense uh, there, he's one of a number of characters that we had to have like real analyses of are these characters mutants or not um on him we ended up coming down on the side of no uh partially i think i think i did go back and it was right around the time i was reading that uh his first appearance and to me reading his first appearance i'm like no it's clear that like weird stuff happens to him. Like I, I don't, it doesn't read like he is a mutant who awakens to me, um, which is why His dad was experimenting on him. Right. right and then right, he right. got bit by like a were pterodactyl. <laughs> but he also, he also has uh, like unexplored origins with Charles Xavier and more. Yeah. 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 I don't if I, that part. That's that's from uh, X Men Forever. It oh, and tells that he had uh, he was working X Men Forever, the, the Fabian one. Mm -hmm. He was working. Okay. I was the like, not the Chris genome one, right? project with. I just I just oh. wrote the whole trial of Sauron for my show, so I did oh. like the deep dive. Uh, this is I I, I want to tell this story someday. I'm going to go back and tell how Charles Xavier messed up Carl Legos. <laughs> Everything that happened since is all his fault. <laughs> and he's just called Sauron because of Lord of the Rings, right? Because he yeah, loves Lord he's of the a Rings. Big dork. <laughs> yeah. I remember that. I remember that. And he's a vampire 
but he's a dinosaur for no reason. Mm-hmm. But also he's a dragon and he's all these things. Isn't um, that they... Don't limit him. I think the background story was that he was supposed to be a vampire because the comics code was loosening. Mm. And then at the last minute, they were like, you can't do a vampire story. They were like, I guess he's pterodactyl too. <laughs> yeah, because J- J- Jerry uh, Jerry Duggan put him on X-Men Green. Uh, mm. And when, when he had been talking about him for that, he was like, well, he's a mutant. Let's put him on. I was like, he's not a mutant. And then we looked into it and decided, no, I don't think he is. But he ended up getting them in there anyway so i've got a gorgeous print of sauron uh by matt horak coming for my wall soon i'm so excited to post images it's it's really good uh anthony and josh do you have any unresolved questions you'd like to toss out into the universe ah i mean i would like a chance to resolve them though so (laughs) i've always (laughs) one of my favorite characters uh that i feel like is still kind of sitting on a shelf is Tanya Trask, the Madam Sanctity, <laughs> who disappears into the future and is kind of possibly responsible for Strife and Rachel and all that mess, but is also the daughter of Bolivar Trask and the brother of Larry, the sister of Larry Trask. She like. also uploaded the 12 CD ROM into Mass. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> And she's like kooky and like she's got that crazy like spiky Rachel costume, but she has a flowing cape situation. I like her a lot. My next um, my next Patreon episode recording, Anthony, is with Demanda Martini on Madam Sanctity. And she's ah, Madam, Madam Sanctity drag. I'm very excited. Amazing. <laughs> yeah. I love a lot of those 90s messes. Also, I just want to sit down and have Pyro and Avalanche bang it out because like that's been waiting to happen for a long time. Those two crazy kids need to get together. <laughs> with, with Blob and Eunice in the next room and Black Tom and Juggernaut in the next room <laughs> <Right>. over. <laughs> just, uh, uh, any, any other? Un- oh, I'm sorry, Jordan. You were commenting. Well, I was going to say, just don't don't ask me to tell you uh, who the uh, which mutant is not really a mutant that we learned in the <laughs> in the. Um, the hunt for Wolverine when when they found Sinister's DNA uh, catalog and found out that there was a mutant on the X Men who wasn't really a mutant and we never which one we never re- we never revisited it <laughs> which one it was in um the one about the 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 New Avengers uh, what was that one called uh oh goodness I don't remember the title right now but it was uh, it was the one about uh like you know yeah Iron Man and and. Uh, you know, a group of the, the the new Avengers that Wolverine was on the team of yes. going out to try to figure out what was up with him. And they ran into Mr. Sinister and that's where they, they find the entire catalog he has of every mutant, the mutants DNA, which we then obviously capitalized on for Krakoa <laughs> in a big way. But, um, but there was one thing they found that secretly there was a mutant who was part of their ranks who wasn't actually a mutant and are you are you gonna tell us who you're gonna make me look it up no it, it, it was never resolved there's oh, no, oh, no that's what i'm saying <laughs> it's just a mystery that was tossed out and then we've yes. never followed up on them i i totally understand it was this is an unresolved storyline it was put out there i had thoughts on who it was and it didn't end up happening some people had plans for who it was and it didn't end up being able to happen and then it got put aside and now it's still out there I feel like Mimic just got confirmed as a mutant, which I feel like is a change too, right? That was like, another one that we looked up and had, and it was like so back and forth. Yeah. It, he has literally gone back and forth over the years where they've gone, he's not a mutant, but actually turns out he is not, right. but he is. 
just uh, just wrote the trial of mimic for my show. Yep, that's actually. I love that asshole. Like God, he's great. He's a good. I feel like Josh, you have the same experience I do. Wherever I, whenever I do a Wiccan, uh, everyone's always asking if Wiccan and Speed are mutants, and I'm always like, that is a question for the legal department, not me. <laughs> well, I've asked that question several times, yeah. and they're not getting a definitive answer. It, yeah, it depends who you ask. Definitely, there was a time when our answer was, yeah, of course they are. Of course oh. they are. And by R, I mean the X office. But then the Avengers office was like, no, they actually are not. And it was like, okay, wait, hold on. <laughs> well, I mean, there have been many characters over the years who were mutants but are now not. Franklin Richards, Squirrel Girl, Falcon, well, Scarlet Witch and Clover. And then the X-Men have also loosened their definition of what it means to be a mutant. So characters like Warlock and Brew, like you're from an alien race, but you're not the same as everyone else. So come hang out with us. It's great. That's fake. That's fake. <laughs> That's fake. They're not really mutants. I, 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 or yeah, the Sentinels. Sometimes Sentinels mutate and then they have to kill themselves. <laughs> that's ridiculous. That's that's super preposterous because Sentinels of all things should be like, no, guys, we're talking about the X gene. Get out of here. We don't have any genes, therefore. Um, no, yeah, I think, well, because definitely there was a time in Marvel's history when it was financially to everyone's benefit for any character to be a mutant. And then there was a time in, in Marvel's history when financially it was to Marvel's <laughs> benefit for them not to be. And so there are a lot of characters who yo-yoed. Cloak and Dagger. Um, oh, yeah. What's yeah. the name of that? Uh, the that um, the, the the World War II speedster lady. Oh, uh, lady. Spitfire? Bitfire. She was a mutant for half a half a minute, and then she was not again. Uh, yeah, there's a number is, of characters like that. Is uh, Toro still mutant? That I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Is he alive? <laughs> I think he's alive because all of Cap's friends, they're alive. It doesn't matter. Yeah, you know, yeah. like you should be 145 years old, but I guess you're still around. <laughs> I believe it. Oh my god, I'm having so much fun. We could talk like this for another yeah, hour. It's true. But it's true. let's shift into the issue review for today. And I'm just all smiles and I'm going to be for hours. So this is great, you guys. Thank you so much. Tonight we are reviewing the final issue of X-Men Volume 1, number 66. Now, the title continues being numbered 67 through 93, but they are all reprints in no particular order of the original books, sometimes with original covers, but generally it's just a reprint of the old books. It really has no rhyme or reason if you look through like 67 through 93. It doesn't go in order. It's just oh, like wow. they're just tossing books out there with no new content. When 94 comes along, that's the one that continues out of Giant Size X-Men number one with the new team. We will get there on my show, but not till we get through the 70s and flashback stuff. So we're going to take our time climbing there. Uh, and I love being the guy that's taking his time. That makes me happy because everybody's like, get to Giant Size already. And I'm like, no, I'm I'm, I'm fine. I'm taking the slow ride. It's you should fun. just do the same issues again, but as the reprints. <laughs> oh, no, I'm done. <laughs> I'm done with the 60s now. I, uh, I'm very happy. I have one 60s issue left. Uh, it's uh, Doctor Strange number 182, which is a juggernaut fighting Doctor Strange. And he turns into an old man in it. It's great. That's the, my last 60s issue. <laughs> but then also, before you do Giant Size, you have to do all of the Brian Bendis time travel stories. Right. right? <laughs> I covered all of those in one episode. Oh, after issue that's eight. not enough. After episode eight, I did one solid episode where I said, here's everything that happened in the future, and now they're back. <laughs> so okay. We'll get there eventually. Okay, so today is X-Men 66. Uh, this this uh, issue is called The Mutants and the Monster. Uh, Roy Thomas is the writer. 
Uh, Sal Buscema is the final penciler. So Neil Adams is not on the final issue of the book, which surprises some people. Sam Granger's on inks, Artie Simic on letters, and Stan Lee is the editor. Uh, the X-Men are in Las Vegas. Now, Hulk has a wild history in Las Vegas because he is the Joe Fixit guy, right? That like lived in Vegas. Oh, that's forever. right. Yeah. Also, do you remember that time Las Vegas and Marvel was destroyed by the Secret Empire, but then Doctor Strange brought it back from the dead with a dark magic spell, and then like there was a hotel that had Mephisto prisoner in it as a result. Oh yeah, oh, that yeah. was the whole thing too. But we're in Vegas. My parents divorced when I was 11 and my dad moved to Vegas. So I used to spend like my summers and Christmas in Vegas and I fucking hate it. It's like my, it's my least favorite city in America. It's the worst place. I can still go there with some friends and have a good time, but it's like the worst part of America. It's like if a cruise ship was a city. I hate it. I hate, I hate, this, I hate the whole place. But we, we have I've never great- been. Me neither. I'm, I'm reading a book about it right now. Not about it. A, a book set there. It's uh, the Pendulette's new book, Random. And he I lives in a, Vegas. I still so. have a sister that lives there with her kids. I go visit sometimes, but I will. Yeah, I hate it. Uh, so the X-Men are fighting uh, the Hulk on the cover of this book on what looks like Fremont Street, which is that part of Vegas with like the old shiny stuff where like everything's like, oh, it's like Times Square. But if it were obnoxious. <laughs> Square is it obnoxious. What do you mean? Golden nugget. <laughs> yeah, it's worse. Yeah. Uh, what are your thoughts on the cover of this book? Oh, uh, it's okay. Uh, you got all five of them fighting Hulk. Uh, that's not the prettiest picture of Beast I've ever seen. Uh, like his face is kind of messed up, but it's he's it's cool. <laughs> yes, yes. As but usual, definitely... Jean gets nothing to do. <laughs> oh, and Jean's on the cover. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, it gets that there's the team fighting Hulk. For some reason, the ground is shiny, but other than that, it seems fine. <laughs> and we know well, that X Men 65, which we just, excuse me, uh, reviewed with Alex Segura and Keith DeCandido, uh, is actually a really lovely book by Denny O'Neill. This is the one where Professor X comes back to life. They fight off the alien invasion Knox. of Knox, uh, who come back in X Men The Hidden Years, uh, among other places. Uh, Professor X, as a result, they have a giant mutant circuit. He has united many of the minds on Earth, and they uh, he like projects them through Cyclops into Polaris, into Gene, and up into space while Iceman cools them all down. It's like this crazy cool mutant circuit. It's really fun. And uh, he scares <laughs> the aliens away, but now he's very, very tired and supposedly dying. Now, it seems that we're going to learn a little bit later in this book that he has been working with the Hulk on developing, quote, a gamma ray treatment of mental exhaustion device. And this is really stupid. (laughs) (laughs) Why would you use gamma rays to make yourself less tired? But in the Savage Hulk series that I mentioned earlier by Alan Davis, Alan Davis picks up on this idea many, many years later. Bruce Banner is trying to suppress the Hulk side of himself constantly. And they they posit in that series that this device is meant to help the Hulk side stay down so that Bruce Banner can stay in control. And that makes a little more sense because the device is meant to be used on Bruce Banner. But using it on the Hulk is just going to give you an Xavier Hulk. Also in that Savage Hulk series, you get Marvel Girl as a Hulk. So we'll get to that on my show in a little while. <laughs> it's, it's pretty nuts. <laughs> as we are as we are starting this book, Anthony, will you take the beginning of the book? Tell us what happened. Oh gosh, yeah, okay. Um, uh, I mean, as you said, it's Sal, Sal Buscema. Um, there's a part of me that feels like the last issue is kind of, for better or worse, a better finale for this run. Like as you as you said, Jordan, it is kind of 
Doctor Who-ish, but it, it works for me. Like, whereas now it feels like we're kind of throwing back, including with this cover. But uh, anyway, Xavier, after having been dead for 10 issues, has come back to life only to be dying again. So we have a scene of them in bed. Lorna is really upset, even though as she admits, she seems to have met him maybe 20 minutes ago. <laughs> so, <laughs> um Everyone is really sad except Iceman, who has the world's most sour expression on his face. Because at some point recently, he decided Lorna was his girlfriend, which she has never said. I don't think they've ever kissed or had really any interaction beyond that first early scene in San Francisco. Um, but a love triangle is emerging here. Uh, and we get to page two. Iceman lashes out at Havoc for comforting Lorna. Um, they fight like children. Uh, <laughs> Keep your paws off my girl. <laughs> they're all, it always in interests me that Lorna's costume is made for her by Mesmero. Havoc's costume, I think, is made for him by Larry Trask. And Angel's costume is made for him by Magneto, I'm pretty sure. So everyone mm -hmm. looks really kooky. Um, Cyclops blasts between well, them and... and, and uh, but they're being babies, and Lorna's like, we should be worrying about the professor, not the next, who takes me to the next sock hop. Um, Iceman continues to look like he just bit into a lemon, uh, and they remember uh, that Xavier has the mind probe device, which apparently is based, as Stanley says in a very long editorial footnote, based on technology from Avengers 68 that Hank Pym has. This issue is really weird because they get the idea they have to fight the Hulk twice. And the first time is from this mind probe device. And the second time is from Gene probing into his mind, uh, which they all the professor says when they probe his mind is the Hulk. Um, and Gene's like, I should read his mind and see what's going on. And he says the Hulk again, although it has this great panel where she's like, remember me? I'm Jean Grey, Marvel girl. You named me. Remember that? <laughs> great art, though. Doesn't doesn't uh, doesn't ring a bell. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and. That's the the first whole quarter of this issue is about them being like, maybe we should fight the Hulk. And why? <laughs> why would Professor X say the Hulk? When he means Bruce. When he means like... Bruce Banner. Because <laughs> then they have to go, why would he say the Hulk? Well, you know, Hulk's Bruce Banner. He probably wants us to talk to Bruce Banner. Why did we not skip that step <laughs> professor <laughs> well and there's this concept of xavier and we have some great comments on xavier and his motivations in the previous episode but this idea of xavier is a secret keeper he pretended to be dead he has the secret past with sauron he has the secret dealings with the hulk i mean even before the modern writers added all of the moira and all of the deadly genesis and all like this guy is uh is great at giving cryptic hints and testing his heroes so maybe he just wants to go uh see if they can fight the hulk and like what's right. gonna happen <laughs> the biggest of which is by the way that maniac you keep fighting every week is actually my old best friend <laughs> right? well he's that's, gonna time them in their fight to the hulk down to the second right. and then grade them <laughs> based on how long it takes you're half second slow <laughs> the image of gene gray on page four in all blue with the red eyes and then like following up on page five with like her eyes behind xavier with like the gamma energy i think the art here is really pretty there's some really cool yeah. uh, like single panels from this issue the x-men have not met the hulk before by the way this is crazy their oh, that's, yeah that's i mean i think that's that's clear from the story for sure yeah those gene panels are so good and like grim and like 
I don't know, just the style of it. It reminds me a little bit of like a Mortal Hulk, actually. Kind of this like mm. in the deep recesses of Professor X's mind, there is the Hulk, which like would not mm. surprise me because it's Charles, you know. But like, I just love the way it's inked. Um, yeah, there's something really psychedelic about it. I mean, part of me really does respond to the Neil Adams art from the previous issue. I think of Busima as more like the Spider-Man-y stuff, like the Harry Osborn stuff is always in my brain. Mm. Like that to me is classic, but this feels like a good, I keep trying to think of like, how is this a good finale for the series so far? It's not. And it's not. <laughs> but, they didn't know, clearly. They didn't Yeah. Know. But what I do like about it is it feels like a good marriage of like, the old like Kirby looking style, like a very chunky style and like a more psychedelic Star Trek-y energy. Uh, the uh, the idea of Bobby just ferociously proclaiming how straight. Yes. I'm straight, <laughs> I have a girlfriend. Look at like, but he's also just crushing <laughs> on how good Alex looks in that skin tight suit. Yeah. Like, poor Bobby. <laughs> he's such an asshole in this one. He's so mad. And that carries into the hidden years as well. That's a plot line, this little triangle that kind of heats up for a minute. Uh where where Lorna briefly chooses the codename Magnetrix. There's a right. fun fact. <laughs> I gotta uh, dust that one off. <laughs> uh Josh, do you want to keep us going in the book? Yeah, so Iceman's kind of hissy fit continues, and he's like, I'm not going with you guys on this mission to fight the Hulk, even though I'm on the cover fighting the Hulk. I'm going to stay here with Lorna and Havoc. And so they take off in their ship, uh, which I, the Sentinel ship, and uh, they bump into Warren uh, at the time. And so Warren hops on board and they all go to Vegas. Um, flying to Vegas is the only way to go, by the way. You don't want to drive. <laughs> um, so they get there. And lucky enough, the Hulk is just lumbering through downtown Vegas. Um, and Warren does all, the only thing he knows how to do, which is dive bomb someone. And it goes about as effectively as every other time he dive bombs someone. Hulk does the, the thunderclap, Warren's kind of repelled, then Beast, not to be outdone, decides that he's going to punch Hulk in the face or kick him rather. And that's totally ineffective. Um, they're just like, in speaking to how ineffective this, like the original five are, like this is such a great example. Like Iceman won't even go with them to fight the Hulk. Like they have no unity as a team. They're just they're just throwing shit at the. Can I say that? They're throwing. Yeah, you stuff can swear. Okay. I've said fuck twice wall. already. We're good. <laughs> <laughs> they're just throwing shit at the wall and hoping that they don't get killed along the way. Um, even though they they keep uh, amping up the threat of the Hulk, they refer to him as deadly. I think three times up to this point. Um, not that they're acting very sophisticated with it. Uh, Cyclops is like ready to blast the Hulk, and it slows him down, but it's not enough. So Jean decides to tap, tap into her mental energies. Um, so she uh, is applying mental pressure to the Hulk and ultimately overcomes him, um, which is kind of surprising to me, but it allows Hulk to revert to his banner form. And they're but actually like, able to have, yeah. Because she, she doesn't have telepathy now, right? Other than the no, earlier in the episode. She does, okay, okay. She does now, yeah, yeah. I was confused. But it's was like confused. lent to her by Xavier is now the retcon of it, I think, right? Because he gave he gave some to Changeling when he impersonated him for three issues. Well, but that's, he also died. That's that retcon. And then that's yeah. been ret retconned by saying she's always had it and he locked it in her head, yes. right? Yeah, yeah. No, she's been telepathic for a little while. Since okay. Xavier's death, she's like now the telepath on the team. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. So like the big twist, I guess, is in in Banner waking up, they're like uh, do you know of Charles Xavier? And he's like, never heard of him. Which, like, I don't know that you're at a dead end at this point, right? Like, 
Uh, and and so uh, as they, this is kind of the next sequence, but uh, this is all going on and they don't realize that they're being uh, surrounded. The uh, the Hulk is going to enter his like 1970s Defenders <laughs> era where he's like cute little kid Hulk where he's like calling people nicknames all the time. Uh, I, I love that version of the Hulk through the Defenders. It makes me happy. This is just kind of angry, leave me alone Hulk, which is yeah. often where we land. And the army is just fucking following him around all the time. He always stomps on their shit. He always destroys a bunch of property. And then they just do the same shit again and they follow him again. Hulk has a big soap opera as well. Bruce Banner's got... His uh the, the army boss is his girlfriend's dad. And then like the rival for his affections is this guy named Glenn Talbot who runs the the military. So Glenn Glenn Talbot's here. He shows up with a whole bunch of the military and uh and Hulk's like, oh, you need my gamma ray treatment of mental exhaustion device for Professor X. It's in one of my secret labs. But then the army's like, uh, no, we have to shoot him. And he's like, I'm the Hulk. And then he like throws their tanks around and the art is really pretty, but it's really just Hulk smashing a bunch of shit and then flying off into the desert. They're or not flying, jumping off into the desert because the Hulk can leap like miles at a time, which is amazing. Uh, there's a lot of really big sound effects uh, in this in this issue, like really huge, like rooms and sracks and like all these, uh, all these things. Uh, Cyclops gets a zap. Like there's all these giant, uh, giant sound effects for the characters, which is super fun. The X-Men pursue him into the desert. Uh, Beast calls the Hulk his pistachio-colored playmate, and now he's throwing <laughs> rocks at them. And that's basically all you need to know. It's just a fight, and the army messed it up again, because that's what happens in every issue of the Hulk. Uh, by the way, fun fact, this uh, this appearance of the Hulk falls in between Hulk 125 and Hulk 126. And in Hulk 126, Hulk fights the Nightcrawler. But it's not our oh. Nightcrawler. It's a different demon guy who's later called the Darkcrawler because he can't use the name Nightcrawler anymore. So there's a fun fact. Does for he you. know he's does he does he feel upset that his brand has been infringed upon? He's, he's like Nightcrawler <laughs> one. Ours is Nightcrawler two. He should team up with the Dazzler. Yes, yes, the Nightcrawler <laughs> and the Dazzler. Bert Worthington the Dazzler. <laughs> uh, and then uh, Jordan, will you close the issue out for us? Sure. So uh yeah, like you said, Hulk's on top of a cliff throwing rocks at them. And so Beast sneaks up on him and kicks him. Uh, and the shocking part about that is that it actually does work. Like, if you ask me what happens if Beast kicks Hulk in the back, I go, Beast's foot hurts. But it, it succeeds. He kicks him off a cliff. Uh, he falls under a cliff and is covered by rocks. And Beast, all of a sudden, has a terrible dilemma because he's like, well, well I don't know. If I kicked fan. Hulk off a cliff, <laughs> if he turns into Banner, he gets crushed by all those rocks. Oh, he's fine. He's the Hulk. Never mind. He jumps out. It's not a problem. This is back when Hank McCoy had a conscience. <laughs> <laughs> if he did it on purpose, he wouldn't feel bad about it, but he didn't mean to do it. This is his first taste of blood. <laughs> So um Hulk No it's uh, not actually up. Beast's first taste of blood is when he creates when he creates the gun that he shoots Eunice the Untouchable with so that oh. Eunice is going to starve to death unless he does what Beast says that's Beast's that's, first taste of blood but he liked it where, there he didn't feel bad about it he was into it <laughs> That's the issue where the uh, where the where the time traveling kids come from right Yep it happens that's right around. before Beast goes and launches his wrestling career where he calls himself the Beast <laughs> wow original uh, so hulk uh so hulk uh when he takes all these rocks off himself 
he actually exposes a giant hole. It's some sort of secret lab. It must be Bruce Banner's lab. <laughs> um, I, side note. What, how is Bruce Banner affording these labs? How does he build? <laughs> He's got like 30 of these labs like built into mesas across the American Southwestern desert. Like that's the book we should do is the book of him hiring all these crews to dig out secret labs and install the computers. <laughs> so anyway, it's it's Bruce's secret lab. And they're like, that must be the one where the thing that he said he was that we had to get. So they distract Hulk for a second. Angel flies in to go get this uh, gizmo. Hulk is smashing the ground. He's, he's creating giant cracks in the ground. And, um, but don't worry, they all save each other. They've got their ship. Uh, they don't all fall on the ground. And then Angel flies out and says, I think I got what we're looking for. Rupees. Okay. And he's get, he has it. They fly away and they're like, let's hope that Hulk doesn't come after us. Guess what? Hulk doesn't come after them. So good news. Yay. It all worked out. Um, Gina's I think this like, is I think this is Angel's way of saying like I've been fucking useless in this fight. You guys remember I'm part of the team. Look, I'm here. I'm valuable. <laughs> Maybe it's like Batman's lab where everything's labeled, and he just like read the label for like the the gamma ray exhaustion beam and just grabbed it. It was <laughs> next to the uh, next to the anti shark repellent. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Gamma shark repellent. Um, so Gene is like, that was a crazy coincidence that. We went straight to the lab and Cyclops goes, no, 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 no. Bruce Banner is inside there, inside the Hulk's mind, and he's influencing him, which is a thing that we do still say to this day, right? That's why Hulk doesn't kill a million people every time he freaks out, because Bruce is just subtly controlling him to just subtly making him hit this this far over instead of that far over. I don't know. So they get back to the house in Westchester and uh, they go, we've got it, but who knows? We got to test it. And uh, is it going to work? And of course, yeah, the answer is yes. They they hulk out Xavier's brain, I guess. And it's <laughs> able to it's able to uh, heal. And then he opens his his uh, his eyes and he's like, oh, good job. Good job, X-Men. Uh, you did. Ex it went exactly the way I planned it when I said <laughs> find the Hulk. <laughs> so, I want to uh, I want to read this last speech. Please, uh, please. Xavier says. I'll be on my feet in no time, I promise you. There are wrongs to be righted, a world to be saved from evil mutants and from itself. Scott says, and we'll save it, sir, with your help. Angel says, amen. And then Xavier closes volume one of the X-Men by saying, I hope so, Scott, because it's a good world, basically. One well worth the saving, as long as there are people in it like dot, 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 the X-Men. Okay. And, and then there's Hold a little, little box that says, <laughs> and they fought heavily ever after? With two question marks after, which is the weirdest ending. So I get maybe they did know by the time it went to press that it was their last one. Mm -hmm. But hold on. That was a lovely speech that you read. But it also makes no sense and is not actually a good sentiment. He literally said, the world is worth saving because we're in it. Right. That is what he said. <laughs> this world is worth saving as long as there are people like us. If there weren't. Everybody can fucking screw. <laughs> no, uh, a very, a very Charles Xavier sentiment. But, yeah, right. But, very in character. Yeah, I've said this show about. I've said this on my show about four times. Kieran Gillen's recent Immortal X Men number oh, ten, so featuring Charles Xavier, made me look at this character in a completely different way. It's so great. God, it's great. 
Uh, good, good, good. I was, I was so, blown like, away when five I was stars. I, I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe how good it was. Because you're right. This is a character that Charles Xavier is a character that he's one of a number of characters at Marvel that have at some point in their existence, I as a reader have been like, well, that character's ruined forever now. <laughs> we can never use that character again. Um, after like Deadly Genesis, was that what that was, right? Deadly yeah, Genesis. The, it was just like Baker. Yeah. It was such a dark period for him where he did the worst things so casually. Um, and it was just like, oh, this character is not at all what he seemed to be, and no one can ever respect and like him again. Now, since then. People have done work to like reclaim him and bring him back. And I think, like you said, that your issue Kieran wrote, it's such a good issue that rounds him out. That goes it embraces like, the complexities. Yes, the and good the and the bad. It's all part and, of it and it yeah. all works together. And I I was very, very excited for that. We're recording this on February 9th. Uh I just read Bishop War College number one, where there's like a little Jay Holtham writes, there's a, like a paragraph or like a one sentence mention of like. Bishop's a very determined person. He can get a little crazy. Like, remember that time he hunted a baby across the all time <laughs> and murdered people for years? Like, it's just a one sentence. I'm like, yay. <laughs> there was a time, I mean, after Civil War, I thought Tony Stark, I was like, that's it for Tony Stark. He's, yeah. like, he's not a good no guy anymore. Yeah. But, uh, but they brought him back. It worked. So we kind of already covered this, but Jordan, why was X-Men Volume 1 canceled? It, well, it just didn't sell. It just didn't sell. I mean, it was, it, they... They didn't know how to make it work. I mean, you mentioned earlier uh, New Mutants. And I think Claremont doing New Mutants, like he, it was him going like, this is how you do the, mm, the teen yeah. version of the, of the <laughs> Mutants. And it was like, yes, that's a million billion times better. Like, yeah. That's a million billion times better. The, I mean, well, it's, it's, well, one thing I should say is people make a lot of fuss about the X-Men being a school. It's, it's not a school for that long. Right. Like they, they, I think the issue that we were just talking about with Eunice, is it that issue that they graduate or is it like the issue before? Yeah. Like they graduate like issue five or six. I, yeah. think it's, I think it's number <laughs> seven, I think, but I'm, which, yeah, I might be okay. wrong. Well, it's pretty close. To, and it makes, which, which in itself makes no sense because they're all different ages. And I'm sitting there going, did Hank, <laughs> the smartest one, stay in high school for and five the oldest extra one. years? Yeah. Or did, did Bobby, the dumbest one, get promoted <laughs> through high school extremely quickly? I don't know, but yeah, it's not really a school. Then from then it becomes, no, it's just a superhero training. You My theory, Xavier graduated them and then erased <laughs> erased the knowledge that they'd graduated from their mind. <laughs> I believe it. He's well, done he it six or seven times. Yeah, yeah. He was very casual about that stuff. <laughs> like, they, might need, they might need cheering up. Let's have another graduation this week and then just do it all again the next week. But then a yeah. few weeks later, he's like, get the fuck out of here. I'm dead. I want to be alone in my basement. <laughs> but but yeah, I think I think they they were trying to do a lot of things, and unfortunately, they weren't super successful at it. Like, I don't think the fact you can do a book probably where it's about a young a bunch of young characters who aren't good at their job and like they barely get by and kind of fail at everything. But like, I don't know, it's not charming enough. They're not they're not they're not rich enough characters to get away with it in the way that the New Mutants much more were like fleshed out and felt more real mm. like they're so like they're very 
like one note characters for a lot of their existence. I do not uh, know the answer. And when I interview Roy Thomas, which I'm doing after this show, uh, one of the questions I want to ask is why the book continued running. So the numbers keep going. It's, I, I know there were like mandates for they had a certain number of ads sold and they needed to print a certain number of books, but they weren't putting any new talent into the X-Men, but still reprinting it for like a couple of years. And I can't remember if still putting that, out reprint issues. There were times in the in Marvel's publication history, and I don't remember if this was one of them, when when the distribution was done like through DC. And so there was like things about like, oh, we have a certain number of books that we are allowed to do. And they were like, we can't lower that number or else we will never be able to bring it back. So like right. they, they might have, if that was the case, they might have been going, well, we have to print the book. Like we like can't shipping, spend money Shipping on it. and printing <laughs> quotas. It's, like, and, yeah. it's like airlines sending empty planes so they don't lose their spot. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Uh, fantastic. Do we have any concluding thoughts on volume one of the X-Men? Now on my show, we're still going to spend a lot of time with these characters, uh, in the next few, uh, in, in the next several months as they appear in Captain America and the Hulk and amazing adventures and Marvel team up and the Spider-Man and they're like, they're all over the place. There's, we're going to, we, we have a lot of Avengers content actually coming up. Uh, so where, where characters are showing up all over the place, but they were then part of the Marvel playground. They didn't have an active book. So any writer bringing them in was furthering their story uh, by, by bringing them back. And there's some really cool content uh, along the way, but do we have any uh, kind of concluding thoughts uh, as we wrap up volume one? Oh, wait, are you going to do season one? I really love doing season oh, one. I so think good. I'm going to cover season one in one episode. Sure. Yes. I mean, that's technically, originally, it came out as one issue, so it, all at once. So there you go. That was a fun book to do. I didn't know about season one. And Nas Abdulik taught me about season one on the show. And I and then I went and read it. And it's great. Oh, it was so much fun. I, I got I got to do two of those. I, I worked on that one. I didn't start that book. Um, uh, as an editor, Alejandro Arbona started it. But I got to finish it when he left Marvel. And then the other one that I got to do is I got to do... um. Wolverine season one with with Ben Acker and Ben Blacker and um, Salva Espen doing our our version of the story uh, between him being found by by the Hudsons and going all the way through the Hulk story. Now speaking of of Roy, he just did a X Men Legends, yeah, X Men yeah. Legends that kind of contradicts the, what we did in season one, but it was like, <laughs> oh, it's fine, we'll we'll work it out. History will will nope, people will reference whatever they're going to reference. You know how it is. When that was a really my, fun book to do. When Roy came on my show the first time, that's what he plugged at the end. He's like, I've got X-Men Legends coming out. It was great. Yeah, it was really neat. So, I mean, again, directly directly referencing a lot of the, not a lot, but a few of the things you just mentioned. So for sure. Yeah, I uh, I just booked my show into May and we, uh, we're we only doing four episodes a month now, except for the Patreon and the trials. Uh, and so we're, we're slowly, we're going to be working in X-Men, the hidden years and the flashbacks and the early seventies stuff, kind of weaving them together as we go. It's, it's exciting. It's fun to put it all together and pairing, pairing the issues with the creators is super fun too. Like, okay. Uh, for example, Lenore Zan's going to come do one of the angel uncle dazzler stories with me. <laughs> I'm so excited. <laughs> Have you interviewed her before? No. And I'm so oh. She's so much fun. And if you, when you're off mic, she's going to tell you 9,000 things that she should not tell you. <laughs> <laughs> I have so many, like, really exciting. Working in the classics and the, like, uh, like some of the more modern creators, it's, 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 it's been a joy. Uh, but I won't start there. I won't stop. <laughs> uh, gentlemen, this has been a pure delight. I'm going to be writing this way for a long time, and I probably won't sleep for a few hours after this because I'm going to be busy brained. But I've had a, a genuinely great time uh, smiling and laughing with you all tonight. Thank you. This has been a, a, a blast. 
Thanks uh, for having as, us. Yeah. Oh, thank you. I'll thank invite you, you all back again. Uh, as we are wrapping up, uh, uh, what would you like to plug and where could people find you online? We're going to put this out on uh, March 6th. Uh, you can find Gray Malk and Lane, Gray Malk and PP like podcast on Twitter, Gray Malk and underscore Lane on Instagram. I keep my own social media private because I've got kiddos, uh, but they have been on my show now. If you haven't heard our Christmas episode, it's the so fun. <laughs> my kids talk about it all the time now, which is we've been on your podcast. It's cute. Uh, the uh, the uh, the content coming out on my show, I'll talk about at the uh, end. Uh, Jordan, do you want to go next? Sure, sure. Um, so over in over in the world of uh, c- contemporary X Men comics, uh, <laughs> we're in the middle of a of a crossover called Sins of Sinister, which is a really nutty, nutty series. God, it's um, good. Yeah, I really, I really am excited about it, and it's 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 very unusual. Um, if it's March sixth, then that means that we've just finished a, a, like two weeks ago. I think we finished the. 10 years from now period of sins of sinister and in two days we're jumping into the 100 years from now period of sins of sinister before next month we move into a thousand years from now um it's incredibly cool um if you haven't checked it out please please check it out uh starts with sins of sinister number one by kieran gillen and then it goes through uh storm and the brotherhood by al ewing uh, Nightcrawlers by Cy Spurrier, and then Immoral X-Men by Kieran Gillen. In addition, uh, X-Men number 20 comes out this week, which is the middle of uh, our our Lord of the Brood arc that Jerry Duggan is writing. Uh, that's super fun. And there's going to be all sorts of nutty uh, X stuff coming up between now and July, when the new, this year's Hellfire Gala happens and kicks off the fall of X. Um in the non X-Men world, if you like hearing me babble about stuff, and especially if you like horror movies, uh, I, I'm doing a horror podcast with a friend of mine called Nature Trail to Hell. The first season of it is all out, and we did we went through all of the Friday the 13th movies one by one. My friend Stefan had never seen any of them, so he was seeing them for the first time, and I was watching wow. them for like the millionth time, thinking about them way too much. Uh, in season two, we're probably like halfway through the season at this point, maybe a little bit further. We are going through all of the Texas Chainsaw movies, and I've only seen half of them before. And so some of those I'm seeing for the first time as well. They are they are a trip. So that's a lot of fun. Nature Trail to Hell. It's wherever you can find podcasts. My husband and I host a monthly event at our house with about 20 gay friends where we call it Cringe Movie Night and we make themed <laughs> cocktails and we watch terrible movies on purpose. And oh. every like every third every third movie is always a terrible horror movie. Like next month we're watching uh, uh, Leprechaun Part One. Oh yeah, uh, we just watched <laughs> the Velocipaster. <laughs> so many great <laughs> Leprechaun is a fascinating series to me because most horror movies franchises you have like a really great movie and then a bunch of bad ones where they would try to recapture it. Leprechaun is one where no, none of them are. Good. I don't know how they made a second one. The first one was terrible. Which one is like Jennifer seven? Aniston in? In the first one. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That was the selling point. We always vote on the movie, and they're like Jennifer Aniston's in it. All the gays were like, "Yeah, we're 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 in." I mean, you're probably not going to watch want to watch any of the Texas Chainsaw movies, but if you did, I would recommend number four because that's the one that has Matthew McConaughey and Renee Zellweger in it. Ooh. It's insane. I, I it's on the list. <laughs> okay, good. Uh, uh, Chad, have you done Nightmare on Elm Street two, the super gay one? No, no. Oh. 
You have to watch that. That's but we the- have done Whatever Happened to Baby Jane and Mama Dearest, which are, oh. well, which are two movies I know you featured in your Toronto That's show. That's right. Yes, we will. By the time this is airing, we will have we just finished uh, Whatever Happened to Baby Jane. Uh, we did Mommy Dearest. So if this is in March, if you're in Toronto, you should join us for Dumpster Raccoon Cinema every month. It's me and a bunch of rowdy queers watching movies at the Review Cinema. We'll be screening Dark City, the oh. Proyas, yeah, the Proyas movie this month. Um, I'm hosting the Oscars for the Toronto International Film Festival here in Toronto. If you're interested in joining us for that. Uh, in terms of writing stuff, my book Day Spring is coming out before the end of the year. Um, I don't know if we'll have announced the cover and everything by now. My graphic novel Apocrypha is coming out a few months after that. A uh, bunch of queer teens versus the Christian apocalypse. Uh, <laughs> I'm working on a werewolf thing right now that is still early days. So I think that's everything I can think of anyway. Oh, you can follow me everywhere at uh, Mia Koopa. It's a bad Latin church Super Mario joke. M-E-A-K-O-O-P-A. And then, uh, of course, Mr. Josh Trujillo. Sure. Um, you can find me on social media at Lost His Keys Man. I lost my keys, man. And um, what am I working on? I'm working on Blue Beetle Graduation Day for DC Comics. We're about halfway through the miniseries, and uh, it's going well. So pick that up. I think issue four will have just dropped around the time this episode airs. And then um, I have some stuff for Marvel that I can't talk about yet, but that'll be out uh, before too long. And uh, many things on the horizon, hopefully. So, yeah. Fantastic. Uh, I've got a couple of graphic novels out there, too, uh, but it's like early pairing with artists space. So I can't talk about anything yet either, but it is super exciting. I love collabing with writers and creatives. This is my favorite thing. Uh, on the show, uh, you will follow up this episode with our interview with Roy Thomas. After that, the incredible Jeopardy game, which is going to be more fun than you realize. Uh, it's, it's really exciting. Uh, like I said, we're mixing in flashback content with early 70s stuff. So here's the next several episodes of my show, uh, just as a treat for listeners. Next episode after this is Generation X minus one with Torin Gronbeck and Philip Seavey. Uh, after that, we're doing X Men minus one. We get to step into the Age of Apocalypse with uh, with X Men writer Stephen Grant. Uh, then we're doing the three part Angel series, uh, where it's the Superman writer uh, doing Angel with his evil uncle Dazzler, which I've mentioned like four times in this show, which is crazy. Uh, <laughs> uh, we're doing three episodes for that, and we're uh, we're going to be featuring Kelly Corvace, Lenore Zan, and then Stuart Moore. Uh, and then again, I just expanded the schedule into May. Uh, I've got some crazy cool stuff coming up. Uh, make sure you're paying attention, and uh, we're having a great time. On the Patreon, the next two episodes coming out feature the Warlock slash Mahayogi guy from the 60s, who's nuts, uh, with the incredible uh, the incredible Bob Quinn. And uh, after that, for uh, St. Patrick's Day, we're doing Shamrock with Trina Farrell. Uh, so uh, thank you, everybody. Thank you, Jordan. Thank you, Anthony. Thank you, Josh. Uh, and uh, we will see you back for what I suppose we could call season two of the show, although really we're just continuing into what happens next. Uh, thanks, everybody. We'll see you back next time. Thank you for listening to Gray Malkin Lane. We hope you are enjoying this podcast. Gray Malkin Lane is produced and recorded in Salt Lake City, Utah, with music and editing done by my husband, Michael Bell, and promo art done by the incredible Seth Martell. Look for us on Patreon, where we are releasing weekly episodes about obscure characters and facts. Uh, It's a great way to participate with the podcast for only just a couple of dollars a month, and it helps support what we are doing here. 
Also, the best way you could help Graham Malkin Lane is by sharing and liking and subscribing, but also please leave us a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. We'll see you back here next time on Graham Malkin Lane.